Good morning, radio listeners, and welcome to this week's edition of uh, News from the Drug War Front with uh, Jeff and, as ever, my co-presenter, Marion. With a mouthful of Tim Dan. A mouthful of Tim Dan, which I brought in to go with our coffee. Good morning, everybody. I'm happy I have a caramel Tim Tan to go with my coffee. They're nice, aren't they? (laughs) They're beautiful. Thank you, Jeffrey. Good morning, gang. Lovely to talk to you this morning. Stay in bed with your coffee and listen to news from the drug war front because it looks miserable out there. It's not so cold, but it is miserable. Strange hot weather. Mm. I've had a lot of positive feedback to our... um, Show last week, Mary. Lovely to hear, Jeff. Yeah, we did it in the middle of reconciliation week, yeah, and yeah, because of the public holiday on the Monday and not being able to get a First Nations speaker, whatever, all of the things that can happen. Um, you and I had to sort of pretty much speak just off the cuff, off the cuff, and Mm. from our hearts, yeah, and um. I've had so much feedback, um, not necessarily from people. Who, we love feedback, by the way. It's okay to criticise nicely, gently, oh. <laughs> but we'd love to hear from you. So if you have something to say or something to offer or something you'd like us to do, please get in contact with Karma or with Jeffrey. Look, there's a really us. good um, email, uh, just standard address that uh, Dave keeps an eye on. It's just called info, okay. I-N-F-O, at... C-A-H-M-A.org.au. And that's lowercase karma? All lowercase. Yep. So you could say, um, I'm writing uh, with feedback about the radio show. Yep. Uh, could you do a story on whatever? Yeah, or inform I- us on something or other. Yeah. We're, we've, or, and we'll certainly do our best to accommodate you. Absolutely. Yep. No, feedback is most welcome. All right. Um, yeah, welcome to this uh, today's edition of News from the Drug Warfront, brought to you by Karma. And also the connection, which is the uh, services First for First Nations yep. people. Uh, Karma is a peer-based, community-controlled drug user organisation with over two decades serving the ACT. Uh, now, the radio show reports on, and also hopefully, um, in, uh, in, in, interestingly, debate uh, <laughs> the death, misery, damage, and harm caused by the prohibition of certain drugs that began on a global scale with the ratification of the 1961, can you believe how far back Mm. that is, United Nations Single Convention on on Narcotic Drugs, and Australia's a signatory, sadly. Uh, These global policies remain largely unchanged. There's been a few, you know... It's been tweaked, but there's no been... The interesting thing about that, Geoffrey, is despite the fact that the convention has been in place since 1961, it's often been very selective as to who, you know, people can sign it yeah. uh, to their heart's content, but complying with it is, seems to be an individual country-based decision. I know that the Netherlands, for instance, um, have been shops. running drug user yeah. programs and drugs provision programs for as long as they've been signatories to the yeah. United Nations Convention. So... You know, having signed something it's not set to stone. comply There's, doesn't mean yeah. you have to no. comply with it. It simply means that you're sympathetic to it. Well, on that point, Marin, I'll be very interested. Um, I've got two stories about uh, the capital of Switzerland, Bern. Yep. Uh, they started off the first HAT program, heroin-assisted treatment, back in 19... 19- was it Bern, no. was it? Okay. Well, I certainly... I thought it was Zurich anyway, but no, no well, just because I was perhaps there. Perhaps one, yeah. one of the first. Anyway, an early one. Yep. And... I was chatting with a colleague and saying, I wonder if that's still going. You know, that, yeah. that's a long time ago, 1994. So I checked it out because they're also now looking at doing a um, pilot uh, for a similar thing with cocaine. Okay. 
Uh, yep. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's because the, the hat's Herald and done well so. and yeah. they're going to extend it. The hat's still going. Great. And it's the impression I get without delving into it deeply um, is that it's just been kept quiet. Yes. The people that have needed it, who have been, you know, long-term users, Drug users who, yeah. for whom other programs haven't worked and they need something to be able to function. Yep. Um, they, they they get docetomorphine at the, the chemist. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's pharmaceutical so grade. Not just available through through one central. No, 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 no. It's clinic. A pro- it's actually available privately as well through the chemist. Proper program, and it's Fabulous. still going. So, but later later in the show, we'll. I can't imagine that it would have stopped Jeffrey. I remember um, that there was in in Brisbane there was a morphine provision program started. Um, way before I ever got involved in drug and alcohol field, well, that was before 1984. Well, nobody did hear about it. It was kept very quiet. But people who had been on, because they didn't do, this was Joe Bielke-Peterson's wow. time, right? So when everything was kept under wraps, pretty much, Ooh, yeah. no publicity Hard for line. anything except yeah. Joe Bielke-Peterson yep. and Flo, Um but there was a, this morphine program and it was actually continued quietly for as long as the people required it. And, in fact, there were people who were still on the morphine program until they died right. naturally, like wow. of old age or awesome. of whatever diseases come along with old age. So it has actually been available in Australia, just nobody ever knew about it. Well, the more I think people, about this... Just generally, Marion, I think the approach of doing it on the quiet, yeah, helping the particular people for whom nothing else has succeeded yep. and you want them to survive and contribute to society, don't have headlines splashing, you know. Don't, make, the, it a, don't make it a big noise. Don't make it a big yeah, noise. Just it's not expensive. Quietly. Yep. You know, there's a little bit of bureaucratic A bit paperwork. like slipping in the can test thing, Jeffrey. don't you think? That well, was really brought in fairly quietly. Absolutely. And is now extremely successful and they're up to, what, a thousand? thousand um, uh, samples they've samples now tested, test. which is fabulous after nine months. And I think it'll be made permanent. I can't really? see it. Really? Yeah. Well, that's I, wonderful to I hear. I can't see it not continuing. It's just so nice to hear because why should we not know, why should we not know the quality and put ourselves at risk of death every time we use a particular drug. When what's happening is that many people are not using alcohol by choice, but as an option or as a preference, they're using currently illicit drugs but have no knowledge of the quality of the product they're using or what it's contaminated with. So this can test, for me, I think it's... I agree, Mary. Terrific. Who else consumes a product and has no idea what the hell's in it? What's in it? Yep. Except people that happen to use drugs that are on the the ones that have used it before you, if you're lucky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Someone could say, "Yeah, I've had this. This is good, mate." You know, that's about as accurate as you can get. Yes. But the can test will tell you specifically, detailed, accurately, beyond any shadow of a doubt. And I've got some results on that, but we'll do that after we do the other thing. Okay. Um, Yeah, so, you know, that's the story of of the show. We're we're hoping to obviously provide stories, promote karma and the connection. And promote discussion. Promote
illicit drugs and what they do to you and why they should be or shouldn't be still illicit and yeah. un unavailable on uh, legally over the counter at a at a pharmacy. Most people are probably aware of the services that Karma does, so maybe just a quick, I'll quickly quick run summary, through yeah. what they do um, yeah. in collaboration. Many of yeah, them with, with other, other services, yeah. and that's yeah. really important. Yes. The networking and the connections between one service and another. Uh, Karma provides a wide range of services to clients, like advocacy. Peer treatment support, education, creative arts, mentoring and referrals. The Connection is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients, generally those who still use. But if you don't want to use or if you want to give, give up, then it also provides you with referrals to people who can assist you with that. We meet people where they are at. That's right. Yeah. The whole point. <clears throat> of the services of the harm reduction services and particularly those provided by Karma is that there's no power difference between service provider and service consumer. So the clients that come in are just no better, no worse, no judgment um, because the service providers, that is the people who work at Karma and the connection, are basically have been or are in the same spot regarding drug use as the people who consume the service. So feel yeah. comfortable to come yeah. in. Yes. And or even to call. You can ring Karma on six two five three three six four three. You can get information from them about, for instance, the hepatitis C yeah. um, Reach Teach Treat Thrive program that Karma has been running in cooperation or collaboration with the Hepatitis Council of the ACT. Um, very successfully, yeah. running it's a amazing six to twelve. How many extra services have oh, expanded? Just, yeah. And and every now and then another one will pop up, either yeah. as a project, meaning short term, or a project, or as a program which is longer term and more likely to be um, permanent, such as say. That as the needle exchange started off being a pilot program and then went on to become a mainstay, basically, of yeah. injectors' um, service provision, service provision for injectors of yeah. all kinds of drugs, even and diabetics. Naloxone is probably one of our most proud. Naloxone is a, a, one of the newest services that uh, Karma provides the training for. And if you ring Dave or Domo, again, 62533643, you can either, at the first Tuesday of every month, um, that'd be today. That would be today. It yeah. was, because I tried to say it last week and you said it's not the first yet, Marion, that's tomorrow. That's right, yes. Remember, yeah. I was yeah, wrong. Yeah. Again. But first Tuesday of the month <laughs> But the first today. Tuesday of the yeah. month at the early morning centre, usually from 2 o'clock till about 3, 3.30, yep. there will be a group um, that Dave or Damo or both will run yep. to train people on the use of Narcan, which everybody should know how to use and everybody should have in their bag or in their pockets. Just when they're walking around, because you never know when you're going to see somebody who has overdosed just dying in the street. Absolutely. So if you come across that, then you should have a Narcan and Naloxone to make sure that you can reverse the effects of opioids. I've just been reminded by Louise to mention a couple of updates. She's saying the Hep C testing is back on after a brief um, hiatus. Oh, great. She's saying, uh, like you said, to call to make an appointment, but ask for Louise or for Dean. Okay. Um, and also we can start promoting the Karma Women's Support Group. 
for women with uh, care and protection involvement. For more information, call Karma and ask for Louise or Michelle to discuss. So that's more programs that you can that's co- right. contact and, and get your details. They're really important because women who uh, women who are drug users generally are highly discriminated against because the minute you mention drugs or alcohol mm. in collaboration with parenting. The woman to whom they're referring generally is automatically discriminated against. Yeah. And the connection. first thing yeah. the first thing that happens is the children are taken away. Yeah. And that's horrendous. And women are just painted or tainted yeah. by the mention of drugs and or alcohol. And it's a really important aspect, like the stories that you've been reading. When we had that project. Absolutely. So really important. I might just read the disclaimer um, and then we'll play out first story. Okay, uh, News from the Drug War Front reports on news stories relevant to illicit drug users from Australia, but also from around the world. Uh, Many of the articles featured uh, come from other sources, including the mainstream media, although many of the mainstream media have paywalls and you can't access it. But anyway, the contents of this uh, broadcast slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development, all the things Marion has just mentioned. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people which uh, is not unreasonable. Okay, um, this first piece is actually thanks to Jack for um, providing this CD. It's a compilation, but the track that he wants played is Another Girl, Another Planet by The Only Ones, which I haven't heard in a long time. I've not heard of them. That sounds good. We shall give it a go. Okay.
All right, another girl, another planet. It's uh, coming up about almost 10 minutes to uh, 11 o'clock. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by uh, the Canberra Alliance for Minimisation and The Connection. And you're listening to Jeff and Marion from Studio One, 2XX People Powered Radio, 98.3 FM. Yeah, and yes, if you feel so inclined, in fact, we encourage you to become a member of 2XX. You know, public radio is a very powerful medium and it's one of the few ways that you can have your own thoughts um, spread out to the community or to the wider community rather than standing on a soapbox at the corner of um, Bunda Street and um, Northbourne Avenue. So, yeah, people-powered radio, you can volunteer or join, just become a member and... um, Support your whatever programs you like, yeah? And there's a and lot of good ones. Yeah. Really, there's, we produce a lot of programs that are really good to hear about. Yeah. I wanted to quickly tell the yes. people about the Pat Van, the, uh, which is... A few run, minor changes due to staff shortages. Yes, they've actually closed down for the moment for a few days. So the Pat Van will be open on Thursday the uh, 8th of June from 1 till 5pm at Ainsley Village, closed on Friday and Thursday, that's the 9th, and then the 15th, which is the following week, closed on Tuesday the 20th, so this is for the month of June, I take it. Um, Friday the 23rd, it'll be closed. It's open on Wednesday the 28th of the 6th, 2023, at Oaks Estate, Um the depot only in time to be confirmed. No pat. Um, yes, yeah, so Wednesday, Oaks Estate, no pat depot only time to be confirmed. So it's actually going to be closed on the 9th of June, the 15th of June, the 20th of June, the 23rd of June, the 7th of July, the 11th of July, and the 12th of July. And oh, sorry, that will be at Oaks Estate, but only. For depot only, not for uh, time. The times will be confirmed. But there's a shortage of staff at the moment, so um, the Pat Van's not going to be available every day in its usual format. But we'll keep people advised as to That's right. You can always contact uh, Karma or or Directions and find out when it actually is or isn't available for your use. Yep. Uh, look, before we go to our next um, st- uh, a s- local story, I thought I might play this. It's it's quite a humorous song by Ry Cooter. It's his first album for a long while, and it's called No Banker Left Behind, <laughs> <laughs> which is sort of appropriate given how much money they make. Absolutely. Uh, Ry Cooter. <laughs> They went one day They was going to call on the president In a quiet and a sociable way And the afternoon was sunny And the weather, it was fine They counted out our money And no banker was left behind 
too. The conductor's calling all aboard. We'll be leaving soon with champagne and shrimp cocktails. And that's not all you find. There's a billion dollar bonus and no beggar left behind. No banker, no banker, no banker could I find. When the train pulled out next morning, no banker was left behind. No That was Ry Tudor and uh, no banker left behind. No matter what happens, if they lose money, we pay. They make money, we. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) Uh, Look, I've got a quick story just before we go to the national news. Um, It uh, came on the internet yesterday. German traveller allegedly found the 2.7 million Australian dollars in drugs in the the lining of his suitcase at Sydney Airport. Uh, he alleged, allegedly said that he'd been given a subst- uh, suitcase to use by another man. I think that's a common story. Okay, yep. A German man was caught allegedly smuggling three kilograms of methamphetamine hidden in his suitcase through Sydney Airport. He appeared in the Downing Centre local court on Wednesday. The estimated street value of the alleged fine is $2.7 million, which police say is equivalent to about 30,000 individual street deals. The 72-year-old man arrived in Sydney on a flight from Paris via Hong Kong on April the 1st. So it's actually a while back. Yeah. He was uh, selected for baggage examination by the Australian Border Force, the ABF, who allegedly found the methamphetamine hidden inside his suitcases in a lining. The man was arrested by the AFP or the Australian Federal Police, who also seized the drugs. Well, surprise, surprise. I don't think the bag was necessarily the target of the uh, arrest, more the drugs. He was charged with importing a commercial quantity of a border-controlled drug, namely methamphetamine, which has a maximum penalty of life imprisonment. Whoa. It's alleged the man communicated electronically with another man who was not known to him, who facilitated the German man's travel to Burkina Faso in West Africa. The German man met another man in West Africa who provided him with the suitcase to use for his travel to Australia. Drug mules are used by organised crime syndicates to import illicit drugs into Australia. AFP Detective Acting Inspector Cameron Heil said... Organised crime groups will try every avenue to bring illicit drugs into Australia and make a profit, Heil said. Organised crime syndicates attempt to evade border controls by manipulating people into doing their bidding. 
ABF, uh, this Australian Border Force Superintendent Philip Anderson said, he urged anyone approached by criminal groups to seek the help of authorities. Hmm. Interesting concept. Burkina Faso, Geoffrey. Don't it's hear about that very way. often. No, don't no. hear about people transiting through Africa to bring drugs into Australia. Perhaps that was the point, yeah? Well, Tra- they're always Transiting through, the new- you know, North Africa to yeah. come to Australia and bring drugs in. It's not a um, not a regularly reported thing anyway. Until it becomes so. <laughs> Until it becomes so, yes. And uh, the Border Force and you know, law enforcement have to do investigation and try and find out Indeed. who's behind it. And, and I would be really interested to know how people are going to identify criminal groups because they approach them, yes, or ring them up on the phone. And so can you bring, if somebody says, can you bring a suit, can, you know, we can give you a suitcase, can you take it to Australia for us? That sounds dodgy to start yeah. with, does it not? Yeah. You'd want to be careful with yes. that one. but drug mules, yes, it very, look, at the number of countries that have that problem yeah. um, is phenomenal and the more you, more drugs you make illegal, the more profitable it is to Import, export, or transit um, illicit drugs from one country to another. Yeah. All right. We'll uh, head off to the national uh, news news and we shall return. X98.3. Your support is important to us. So become part of your community station by subscribing, donating, or volunteering. So visit us at 2xxfm.org.au. Well, I have to say that's the first time I've heard the promo that... um, well, a number of promos that Dave and I did some time ago, and um, that was one of them. Um, yeah, recognised uh, both their voices uh, very clearly. All right, it's uh, a bit after four minutes after 11 o'clock. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Minimisation and Advocacy, and it's a uh, uh, sister project, The Connection, which is for First Nations um, people. Um now, while my co-presenter's having a cigarette, I thought I might, um, instead of talking about the can test results, uh, do a story from overseas, from a place that we very rarely talk about, uh, Kashmir, which is a disputed region between India and uh, Pakistan. And this piece is uh, from the BBC, uh, June the 5th. Kashmir battles alarming drug addiction crisis. On a rainy morning in in May, dozens of young men queued outside a drug rehab centre in the Srinagar city in Indian-administered Kashmir. Many of of them were teenagers accompanied by their parents, waiting for their turn to receive medicines from the Institute of Mental Health and Neurosciences, the only government-run drug rehabilitation centre in the whole of Kashmir. The medicines help reduce their withdrawal symptoms and prevent the transmission of infectious diseases. Uh, A doctor asked, did you take heroin again? And the young man, after examining the size of his pupils, said, yes, I couldn't control myself. For decades, life in the Himalayan region of Kashmir has been racked by conflict and unrest. Nuclear-armed neighbours, India and Pakistan, claim the region in full, but administer only parts of it and have fought two wars over the territory. Since 1989, there has also been an insurgency against Indian rule in Kashmir, which has cost tens of thousands of lives. In 2019, India divided the former state of Jammu and Kashmir into two federally administered territories, 
which flared up tensions even further. Now the region is staring at yet a new crisis. Officials say that drug addiction or substance use is becoming a serious worry in Kashmir, devastating the lives of many young people. They also say there's a sharp rise in the consumption of hard drugs such as heroin. In March, a federal minister told the parliament that nearly a million people in Jammu and Kashmir, which is uh, close to 8% of the region's population, use drugs of some kind, including cannabis, opioids or sedatives. Whilst there are no comparable figures from earlier, doctors say this is a surge in the number of uh, drug-using patients. Quote, until a decade ago, we used to see around 10 to 15 cases of um, substance dependency per day at our hospital. Now we're seeing 150 to 200 cases a day. This is rather alarming, says Dr. Yasir Rather, a psychiatrist and professor. Experts attribute this to several factors, including a shortage of jobs, mental health issues, which have arisen from living in a conflict zone. And what a surprise, you're living in a war zone, which is torn between India and Pakistan, and uh, you might seek solace in uh, using drugs. That's hardly a surprise to me. But Dr. Yasir says that the number of drug users seeking treatment has risen sharply. In uh, press conferences, top police officials have highlighted the seizure of large quantities of banned substances and said they have unearthed uh, links to Pakistan. So, yeah, both countries seem to blame each other in this Kashmir Indeed. Um, problem. Yes. It, it's still a legacy of the British Empire and partition. It was never properly decided who... Kashmir belonged belong, to. ...belonged to. Yeah. And it used to be a sort of... Um, gentleman's agreement that there was sort of co-control, uh, but uh, well, Narendra always, Modi... That always works well, doesn't it? Well, until Narendra Modi announced that, no, we don't like this arrangement, we're just going to take the lot. We're just going to control the whole of Kashmir's ours. Yes. And that's it. Well, remember when uh, when there was East Pakistan and West Pakistan yes. as well, and East Pakistan became... became Bangladesh. Bangladesh, yes. yes. Now, the British left a real mess. Did they ever? Well, yes. not just there. All Inevitably they... created one and then dumped it, well, yes, when it became too difficult to manage. I recall us talking about Australia last week. It's strange, that, yes, yeah. very similar. There's stories like that all over the world. That's right. Okay, um, they, they, they allege that the money from drug smuggling is used to fund milita militancy in Kashmir. So it's always Pakistan and militancy. Pakistan has not officially responded to the allegation, but some drug dealers told this reporter they also got supplies from other Indian states, including the Punjab yes. and also the capital Delhi. Where there's money, who cares where That's right. state it's coming from? Substance abuse is not a new problem in the region, but earlier people would take cannabis or other medicinal opioids and heroin was not really in the picture, Dr. Yasir uh, said. Um According to a survey conducted last year by the Jammu and Kashmir administration, there has been no elected government in the region since 2018. More than 52,000 people in Kashmir admitted to using heroin. Wow. It's a lot. That's a lot, a lot to admit to. Yes, yes. yes. And it's not just, I wonder how many people actually use as opposed to those who admit to it. I would say way more than the number that Indeed. admitted to it. The report says that on average, a user spent around 88,000 rupees or about $1,063 or 860 pounds a month 
to get the drug. Wow. The numbers are likely to be higher as many people may not admit to their addiction or seek help due to the stigma around drugs. Well, that's not exclusive to Kashmir, is it? Dr Mushtaq Ahmed Rather, Director of Health Services in Kashmir, said that the government understands the severity of the problem and has taken several initiatives to tackle it. But ex- experts say there's an urgent need for more rehabilitation centres where addicts can be admitted and receive consistent treatment. While there are few private institutions, there are only two public drug rehabilitation centres in Kashmir and both are located in Srinagar. One is uh, IMHANS, Imhans, and the other is operated by the police. Oh, great. That would encourage you to turn up, wouldn't it? Dr Mushtaq Rather says that the government has also set up addiction treatment facility centres, or ATFCs, in each district. But unlike drug rehabilitation centres, ATFCs don't have admission facilities. They are small clinics with one doctor, a counsellor and a nurse to treat patients. Quote, these ATFC centres provide counselling treatment and medicines to the patient for free, says Dr Mushtaq Rather. Stigma often stops drug addicts from asking for help. At Iman's, the doctors are overwhelmed with patients who have come from all over Kashmir. While some drug users have voluntarily admitted themselves, others have been brought by their families. Most of the patients are men, though there are a few women as well. And that can't help saying that that's probably fairly common. That's been the same in Australia. Really, men are overwhelmingly those that uh, use the treatment facilities where women are left um, either as allegedly not using or just uh, in the background but certainly not seen to be using. Quote, this is a sweet poison that will destroy you, says Danish Nazir, name changed, uh, 23, a patient who has been at Iman's for three weeks. Mr Nazir, a businessman, runs a shop in Srinagar and says he would use his income to buy some heroin almost every day. But he recently got engaged and when his fiancée found out, she encouraged him to get help. The couple have decided they will only get married after Mr Nazir recovers completely. Another patient, a 15-year-old boy who barely has a stubble on his face, says he started using drugs with his friends. Quote, they're easily available here, he said. Some social activists say that the government has the primary responsibility of breaking the chain of drug supply. Quote, the police and the administration need to act swiftly on any inputs or information received about drug dealers, says Saeed Shaquille Kualandar, an activist based in Kashmir. Vijay, Vijay Kumar Biduri, the Divisional Commissioner of Kashmir, who supervises administrative issues, did not respond to a request for comment. Doctors say there's a sharp rise in the consumption of hard drugs such as heroin in Kashmir, quote, but tackling drug use is not only the job of the police. Society also needs to come forward, a top police official told the BBC, on condition of anonymity. Apart from the serious physical and negative effects of drug use, there are other consequences too. 
Dr. Yashir Rather says that users sometimes share syringes, increasing chances of contracting infections such as hepatitis C, and I assume HIV, that's my quote in there. There has also been an uptick in other crimes such as theft as people seek to get money to fund their drug use. While the situation is serious, people like Mr Nazir are trying too hard to get their life back on track. He says he's feeling better and has words of hope for others. Quote, you, might fi- you may find it difficult initially, initially, but if you have the motivation, you can do it. Your family needs you, he says. It certainly makes you wonder, you know, it's hard enough coping with the impact of prohibition in a country that's not a war zone. But places like Kashmir, and I've got a friend in Ukraine who works in harm reduction, who's been telling me some of the issues and not so nice things that the state has done to... Drug users, And people wanting to access the methadone program. You know, it's... um, no, they're focusing, their money's going on other things altogether, isn't it? Yes. Well, drug use is always government. down the bottom of the list of priorities. Very, very, very way down the bottom of the list of priorities. And still subjected to the same amount of stigma and discrimination as before the war broke out. Which Absolutely. And inevitably, Jeffrey, war or no war, drugs or a drugs, drug use, dependence, treatment, whatever opioids provision always down the bottom of the list of priorities when it comes to looking at any kind of health issue um even if health itself is often down the bottom of the list yeah but then drug use is down the bottom of the list of the list (laughs) so it's really very difficult to come into contact with any kind of support assistance or referral and i wonder if there were needle exchange programs, are they still operating? Or are people running even further risks? I think a lot of people are doing it on their, off their own bat. And I think there's probably... The, and in many countries, that's the case, whether there's a war or not a war. Jeffrey's still needle and syringe exchange is seen as um, almost a luxury, yes. And in fact, injecting used to be seen as simply a Western phenomenon, yes, and only recently, that's in the last 30 years, has it become an issue for countries that are within, say, the Golden Triangle or within reach of injectable drugs. Yeah, this fellow Denise from um, Ukraine, he posted a very powerful and emotional piece on Facebook where he said he was sort of really upset that Ukrainian government was treating drug users in that manner when the country was being, you know, assaulted and attacked by Russia, which treated drug users, well, they claim they don't have drug users for starters, and the ones they do have are scum and deserve to, you know... Should yeah, should be dead anyway. Be put in Surprised a, they're not in the front line, really. Well, most of them get put in TB-riddled um, hospitals or jails and don't get treated and are left to die. And, you know, Putin thinks that the traditional uh, Russian family is uh, orthodox believing and the family is one man, one woman, no LGBT no, around here. No, you know, it it's, doesn't. And he also doesn't believe in harm reduction. He thinks harm reduction is a, a Western This is plot. President Putin you're talking yeah, Putin. about here. Yeah, Harm reduction is just made a up. Commun- yeah. Made up. A Western know. plot. Yeah. yeah. So does Ukraine really want to set itself 
as wanting to follow anything Russia puts up in this area? Uh, I, well, I think if you listen to any of the media releases from Ukraine, as much as I'm sympathetic to their issues with Russia, I don't see that emulating the Russian approach to drug, so-called drug treatment or service provision for health service provision alone, if you like, um, I don't think that they want to emulate that at no. all. I would have thought they would have totally reversed anything that Russia says. Let's do the opposite. Well, it's a real chance to actually create a new society in the way that you know, all the good things about you know, setting up a country, having rights, having rule of well, law. Well, human rights, yeah. rule of law, separating, yeah, government from the church, all of those things, yes, making a, a democratic, if you like, society. I've always thought when you get a theocracy, look out. Yes. Like Iran, the Russian Orthodox situation, you know, there's a lot of country, countries where the, the clerics end up taking over. It's interesting, isn't it? But not interesting, it's horrendous. <laughs> it's not even interesting. It's it's, but it's worth discussing and it's worth bringing to people's attention because in terms of human rights, where input can put out a, a, a list of demands that include human rights, um, how many countries in the rest of the world take any notice of what the international network of people who use drugs might say in terms of having human rights because in many places human rights for the poor not an issue they don't exist let alone for poor people who use drugs very interesting you say that marion haven't been on the board of input for five years yep. i would my impression would be very few countries would take serious notice of um of anything that input put reports out. about yeah. Rights for drug users. Indeed, that. I mean, indeed, and that was. Remember, Jeffrey, when you first brought in the list of human rights that yes. input, and I was amazed that they it's had. It's brilliant. It was fabulous, yeah. and and really impressed me no end. But then, you know, subsequently, there's been less and less being um, issued, if you like, from input, or less that we're hearing about. Um, and maybe it's more a matter of not having a member on the board or on the yeah on the committee of input that we hear less about it. The other thing that really dismays me, Marion, is um, this perception that the UN has come over to our sort of way, way of, of thinking, thinking. Mm. and uh, friends and supporters. Well, I've yet to see any tangible evidence of that. Uh, you know, being I haven't heard anyone from a UN bureaucrat uh, or bureaucratic organisation like the UN Office of Drugs and Crime. I mean, the name itself tells you what their importance is. Yes. So, drugs and drugs Crime. Drugs and Crime, put it um, together, yeah. You know, they're more interested in just keeping things going and keeping... Absolutely, make, making sure they've got a job. It's always been a great matter of concern for me, Jeffrey. In 1989, I think it was, I went to WHO, World Health Organisation in Geneva, right. and spent three days there um, providing so-called technical advice to the drug section right? Um, and largely promoting, in 1989, promoting the idea of harm reduction um, for injecting drug users or for people who use illicit drugs in any way, shape or form. And I 
spent perhaps two hours with the director of the drugs section of WHO. Carefully making a well-thought-out point. (laughs) Yeah, trying to make one point at a time so that it was easier to understand and he wasn't being confused by me, you know, giving him like 20 ideas because it too much to swallow. That was a lesson that was given to me by a member of WHO saying only provide one idea in your speech because any more than that and people will be confused. It's too much to swallow. Um, But it seemed that nothing that I said made any impact despite the fact that Dr Andrew Ball was actually from Australia who used to be Dear Dolly Doctor, if you remember, from the Dolly magazine, was working for WHO at the time and was trying to gently guide WHO into the acceptance of the issue of harm reduction. Enlightened approach, yeah. Just slightly more enlightened. And in Zurich, that was when they had the first heroin provision program and they got rid of all the needles out of Needle Park in Zurich and the community got their park back again. But, yes... What happens in Switzerland as opposed to what happens in WHO, completely different things. It's like uh, people assume that Canberra is an indulged place because it is the centre of government. Well, the same goes for WHO because it has an international organisation situated or located in Geneva in Switzerland, then the assumption is that Switzerland would be following the model that WHO or WHO would be following the model that Switzerland is providing, but Just not happens so. happens to be one of the bases of the bureaucracy. It doesn't mean anything. And it's no reflection on you. I remember seeing the photo of um, Annie Madden being one of the first Australian drug user representatives going along with um, the Australian de- uh, government delegation to a UN forum and clearly probably doing the same thing you were, making very intelligent points, and we haven't got anywhere through no, that approach. No. And I don't think we are. Going well, I think WHO also did a, um, an international conference on HIV and uh, the at-risk communities, if you like, and I know Julie Bates and I went over there. We also had a woman from First Nations mm-hmm. from uh, Northern Territory come along with us, and we all went to represent... Indigenous Australians, injecting drug users, sex workers, basically those who were at risk of um, transmission of HIV and how to prevent that transmission. Um, And, yes, the the whole point was there was a lot said, a lot discussed, nothing happened. (laughs) You you, you can't fault us for trying. No, and... I know that they respect a lot of the stuff that Australian represented delegates say in most of these places and often make Australians the rapporteurs for international meetings, but it doesn't mean that anything is going to be adopted or is going to be enacted yeah, by the international organisations. No, Absolutely. not guaranteed Elizabeth Reid was the head of the United Nations uh, Women and international women's group, women's health on women's health, um, but she also found that she had huge problems trying to get movement 
on the issue of women and violence and drug use. Yeah. It was just not one of those priority issues. No, it's all part of the reason I think this is one of the hardest social justice issues that there is. To well, and when you're talking about 50% of the population, at least in any specific <laughs> country, Geoffrey, and what happens during a war, the first thing they do is an attempt at least of genocide by raping the women. Oh, to see if they can impregnate them with a non-Indigenous person, a non-Indigenous baby. Um, I've just got a short piece on um, Switzerland's capital city, by the way, which is sort of timely, um, Bern. Yep. They've signalled their intent to conduct a, a scientific pilot trial of controlled cocaine sales. And this is from Swiss Info's web website, June the 2nd. With a, a vote of 43 in favour to 18 against, uh, the city parliament approved a motion to extend trials with cannabis to the future legal sale of cocaine. Despite recognising that cocaine is a harmful drug, politicians in Bern believed that supervised sales could lead to a better control of the narcotic. The motion met with opposition, mainly from right-leaning and centre parties such as the Swiss People's Party, the Radical Liberal Party and the Evangelical Party. Oh, what a surprise. Wow. They argued that such a decision should be left to the federal government. However, Francisca Toika, Burns' Director of Education, Social Affairs and Sport, pointed out, quote, the government only agreed to the cannabis pilot projects under pressure from the cities. Burns' vote is intended to send a signal to the government and to other cities to consider the idea. This cocaine sale proposal was narrowly rejected by the parliament back in 2019, but a second version featuring more restrictions gathered enough additional support from the left-wing Social Democratic Party to force the motion through uh, last Thursday. Cannabis sale pilot projects are already underway in Basel, Zurich and Lausanne. Byrne is expected to follow suit in autumn 2023 and Beale a few months later. So it looks like they're going to try and extend a bit like the hat project yes. with heroin to cocaine, which is interesting. And cannabis. And cannabis as well. That was a cannabis one. Yeah. The one that, there's another article, Geoffrey, you've got how far is Switzerland in decriminalising drugs? Uh, Switzerland a pioneer for a humane drugs policy. Yes, that's the one. Uh, human beings and not drugs need to be at the centre of drugs policy, so said the Swiss, Swiss Health Minister, Alain Berset, at the UN special session of the World Drugs Policy in New York. This is April the 20th, 2016. Good heavens. It's hmm. a long time ago. Yeah, I didn't realise that. Berset so outlined uh, Switzerland's four-pronged drug strategy, which was met with controversy when it was introduced in 1991. However, since then, it's been partly reproduced in many other countries. For the last 25 years, Switzerland has applied a four-pronged approach, prevention, therapy, damage litigation and repression. Wow. This pragmatic policy... Policy was born out of the Zurich drug problems of the 1980s and 1990s. The 1994, in 1994, the Swiss first introduced the controlled prescription of heroin by doctors for the chronically addicted. Prevention. The, pro, uh, the public is educated with information, advice and national drug prevention programs. In this way, the consumption of drugs can be reduced. 
therapy, people with addiction disorders receive medical and psychological care. This can include the prescription of heroin. This enables former addicts to reintegrate into society and the workplace. Damage control. To minimise the negative health and social consequences of drug consumption, cantons provide that this community, uh, the sort of like uh, town centre uh, committees provide emergency centres or support private institutions. The distribution of clean needles is included in this service. Control and repression. Enforcing measures measures that outlaw the use of illegal drugs reduces the negative consequences of drug consumption in society. Bassett or Bassay complained that the final document to emerge from the summit did not condemn the use of death penalties for drug offences in some countries. That's a shame. Addiction should be treated as a disease and not a crime, he said. How about Uganda making uh, being homosexual a a death penalty an executable offence yes it's horrible isn't it (laughs) in an interview with the German television station Deutsche Welle Ruth Dreyfus the then health minister and current member of the global commission on drug policy criticised the UN tactics of using repression and bans to combat drug use instead the focus should be on health human rights policy and integration she said Quote, we should also talk about the failure of drug policy and be ready to tread new paths. Yeah, she's good restrapers. That sounds really sensible. And we are saying, Geoffrey, the international organisations are not taking note and yet there seem to be individuals within those organisations who are trying to make inroads into their ludicrous conventions, so-called conventions. And Switzerland does have... Um, a variety of programs and a so-called four-pronged approach. But the focus seems to be more on the use of the word addiction as opposed to use. And as long as you keep that very um, uh, fraught term, if you use addiction or addicts all the time as opposed to users, you're always providing that discriminatory language. Be honest with you, Marion, if I could get a heroin-assisted treatment program... You'd be there, I, yeah? They could use whatever language they like. You'd be second like. in line. They could <laughs> call me an addict all I like. <laughs> <laughs> call all me right. what you want. Um, I think Just give me the drugs. We'll play a song. This is one of my favourite Cold Chisel tracks. It's um, Flame Trees, Cold Chisel.
sentimental bullshit anyway No, it takes more than just a memory To make me cry Alright, welcome back to this week's news from the drug war front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy and The Connection. And it'd be just uh, worthwhile pointing out how few funded peer-based drug use organisations there are, not just in Australia, which was a, a, a positive spin-off of the horrendous HIV epidemic, yep. but if you look, you, the UK, I think over a decade ago, had some funded, but the Tories defunded them. Yeah. So they don't have any karma or newer or harm reduction Victoria at all. There are no peer-based drug user-funded organisations in the whole of the UK, over 60 million people. That seems crazy. Doesn't it? Isn't that just mind-boggling? It, just, it flies in the face of common sense, though, doesn't it? When, when over the years what we've found, particularly with the HIV epidemic, I mean, it's, that's where it started. How with successful. HIV transmission was if you do peer education then you can intervene in risky behaviours and educate your peers on how to safely or use drugs and have sex more safely, safer rather than safely because we know it can't be done safely. Shows how cruel the Tories are, doesn't it? Oh, it's just crud. All right, look, we have a whole range of articles, so we've had to sort of make a choice and the ones that we haven't got time to... (laughs) Read will um, oh, put absolutely. on the. Absolutely, it's already the 22. Drug... Yeah, 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 yeah. News from the Drug Warfront uh, website. But anyway, people will be aware that finally, after over two decades of um, activism by drug user orgs, the federal government is overhauling the whole opioid assisted treatment um, program. 
Because at the moment, if you're on methadone, um, you don't just uh, fill a script once and pay if you're on a health care card. A one-off fee. A one-off fee. You um, pay, pay a whatever daily... whatever the pharmacy wants to charge. Dispensing fee and whatever they want to charge. That's and right. from state to state, territory to territory, it varies. There's no standard. And the... the, the uh, the organisations that jumped on board as soon as the provision of methadone became widely available or universally available in Australia, and now this article comes Speci- up especially from Queensland, about reducing the co- and New South Wales, it says, yeah. because the cost to users is going to be reduced automatically. The, this kind of propaganda comes out. They're claiming it's going to put us out of business. The private clinics. And on the day that it comes into effect, our doors will be closed. That's right. So and if that isn't shock tactics, I don't know what is. Anyway, yep. um, it's entitled Federal Government's Funding Shake-Up Risks Leaving Thousands of Queensland and New South Wales Opioid Addicts with Nowhere to Go for Treatment. This is by Emma Pollard from the ABC News website. The government hopes to make opioid addiction medication cheaper, but private clinic operations operators are worried the change will put them out of business. More than a dozen private opioid treatment services in Queensland, New South Wales, are at risk of closure because of changes announced in last month's federal budget. If the 17 facilities shut, they say it would displace more than 4,500 patients with opioid dependency potentially plunging some back into illicit drug use and crime to stave off withdrawal symptoms if they cannot get care elsewhere. So talk about um, fear-mongering. Absolutely. The potential crisis is the result of government changes to the Opioid Dependence Treatment Program. That means patients will be able to buy medicines, including methadone or buprenorphine, through the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, like any other prescription, Marion. Absolutely. Just to make it like any... Doesn't it just make it sensible? It, it's so sensible. It Anyway. Um, yeah, it seems like you shouldn't need to say this. No. Because someone, the private clinics have come out and said, oh, no, there go our profits. And so we're going to shut our so doors. So we're going to shut our doors. Let's frighten everybody into responding. And it says currently people requiring medication attend state-run facilities, some GPs or private pharmacies and clinics. Most people in Canberra, it's... Um, community pharmacies. Indeed. Okay, Federal Health Minister Mark Butler said, quote, for too long people seeking help for opioid dependence have been, quote, treated as second-class citizens and locked out of getting their medication affordably through the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. Quote, once the change comes into effect, Australians seeking help for opioid dependency will be able to buy their treatments from pharmacies, paying a PBS Pharmaceutical benefits and co-payment instead of uncapped private prescription fees, Mr Butler said. Mark Butler says the change will make it, more, make it cheaper for patients to access medication. However, private pharmacies and clinics in Queensland and New South Wales say their role in treating up to 10% of the nation's ODTP patients opioid dependence treatment program patients has been overlooked and their revenue will be slashed when the changes come into place on on July the 1st. While efforts to make the medications cheaper have been universally applauded, there are not enough state clinics, GPs and pharmacies to take on thousands of extra patients. 10% of the population are getting them through private clinics and I think that's largely, Geoffrey, more about... um, 
privacy and not being not having their jobs or their their reputations put at risk by being discriminated against or stigmatized. Well, it's a choice of services. Yes, and they jumped on board quickly enough when the uh, when the availability of opioid maintenance programs was made Australia-wide. They jumped on with glee and then suddenly it's a dramatic... But only 10% of people are on private programs. But nonetheless, it's probably in private areas, anyway, rural areas nonetheless. Well, one point they leave out, Marion, is that they get the drug for free. Anyway, yeah. So how come they're suddenly going to be doing without all this money? And not going to manage. Fairly important oversight. So they must be making a lot of money out of drug users, Geoffrey. Yes? They are. Set their own price. Well, if it's... Uh, okay. Pharmacist Andrew Pfeiffer owns a specialist drug treatment clinic at Logan in southeast Queensland, which supports around 210 people living with opioid dependence. He said about 60% of the patients, including a top business executive recovering from surgery, became addicted to prescription opioid painkillers. Others use illicit drugs like heroin. So this pharmacist, Andrew Pfeiffer, says he will close his Logan Clinic on July the 1st under new arrangements planned by the Commonwealth. They pay the clinic $42 a week for opioid substitution medications and unlimited bulk billed appointments with healthcare workers located on site. Quote, under the new system, a general patient would pay $30 a month for care. If you hold a concession card or a healthcare card, you'd pay 6 or $7 a month, Mr Pfeiffer said. Which is a fantastic investment, he went on, in care and a much-needed change to see equity brought to such a marginalised cohort. But, he said, it'll destroy the income of private dispensaries and clinics like his, unsurprisingly, and about 16 others, filling gaps in New South Wales, filling gaps in care in New South Wales and South East Queensland. Yes, 1st of July we will be closed, he said. Once we close, patients will be left to their own devices and there will be no treatment for them at this service. State-run drug treatment clinics and some accredited GPs also prescribe opioid replacement medications. But in most places, the services are already full and that is a problem even here in Canberra. It is a problem. not enough dosing, um, prescribing uh, chemists and, um, uh, sorry, doctors and dispensing dispensing chemists, chemists, yeah. yeah. Um, there's nowhere else to go, Mr Pfeiffer said. The pharmacist is warning of, quote, imminent disaster for the wider community and patients, many of whom have addiction issues stemming from trauma. They'll be forced without an option onto the illicit market, which will result in an increase in crime, petty crime, property theft, acute presentations to emergency departments, intoxication and a rise in viral infectious diseases. I really wish I could believe that that was their primary cause of concern but yes anyway. that that was their issue as healthcare providers allegedly Maybe. healthcare providers i would have thought that their concern would have been more for the individuals who are human beings after all Maybe call even me if cynical. they're not rich ones rather than yes he said closures would also remove a secure environment for about 40 general practitioners and nurse practitioners who specialize in the quote tricky field of prescribing replacement medications for illicit opioids Mr Pfeiffer said the federal government had failed to properly consult with the operators. The only option to avoid Armageddon... Oh, oh my... Can, can we have can we that any more, The sky will fall yeah, in, that's right. said Armaged- Chicken Little. 
avoid Armageddon is for the Commonwealth to delay the implementation and allow a proper consultation process to ensure that no patient is left behind and oh. no community is upset, Mr. More 5%. The point. No service provider is upset. But he's been happy with the current system for over 20 years where he could set the price and charge it expensive. Oh. Indeed. The next heading is people will die from it. If you don't, if you can't hear the irony in my voice, you're not listening properly, <laughs> gang. Sam, not his real name, has spent much of his life in and out of jail with a chronic addiction to heroin and oxycodone. Quote, I had a wild childhood. I was a street kid, in and out of boys' home jail, just had a hard childhood. Turned to drugs and it went from there, he said. Now aged in his 40, he started daily methadone treatment through a non-PBS pharmacy about 10 years ago. It's his saved his life and helped repair his relationships. I've been out of jail for a long time now. I actually got myself together. I've got a house and I'm doing well, Sam said. The Newcastle resident said if clinics close, people will die from it. If they do this, they're going to have a big epidemic, he said. Heroin addicts or opiate addicts, you can't go through a day without it. You'll do anything to get it. Kurt Strassmeyer owns the Newcastle Pharmacy that treats Sam and about 350 other patients recovering from addictions to heroin and other opiates. Quote, we see the patients come in at their worst point in their lives, at the worst point in their lives, and to see them after a couple of months turn their lives around, keep their families together, it's quite rewarding. Not rewarding enough, apparently. <laughs> and to see all the work come undone within six weeks is devastating, he said. The pharmacist said the goal of the new policy is, quote, fantastic, but the private facilities have, quote, slipped through the cracks. I would have thought this was the patients they might have been referring to. He called on the Federal Health Minister, Mark Butler, to intervene. Quote, we need to keep our doors open and that requires Mr Butler's immediate attention to fix and solve this crisis, he said. This is according to a pharmacist and a health care service provider, supposedly. Clinics in Sydney, Newcastle and South East Queensland at risk is the next heading. Debbie Seidler is the co-owner of Clinic 36 in Central Sydney, which has been dispensing medication to people with opioid addictions for more than 30 years. She said the impact on patients will be catastrophic if the changes are implemented next month and the facility has to close. Quote, to think that in four weeks' time they would possibly have nowhere to go and get dosed is frightening and not what anybody would want, Ms Sadler said. Her fellow owner, Keith Roberts, is the drug addiction specialist who worked in King's Cross during the heroin wave in the 1990s. Yeah, look, the, the piece goes on with more similar tales of woe from the pharmacists. Well, it's largely saying that the, the advocacy are saying they need more time for con consultation. And I think they're begging the federal government to delay it as so long as So that they can keep yeah. their profits profit margins up, and that's always going to be an issue whenever you change a system. The dollar. The big, the mighty buck plays a huge part, and it has been one of the reasons why many... People Heroin users do system. not want to go yeah. on programs yeah. because they can't afford it. It's had a negative They'd impact rather have the drug they want rather than the one that is being provided at large cost um, over the counter. Exactly. Or through a prescription from the doctor. Exactly. It's a, um, 
it's a monumental piece of propaganda and it is something I would have thought to be expected and from service providers who are meant to be healthcare providers. Indeed. But it seems to be a secondary thing. First of all, they have to maintain their profit margins. Almighty dollar. Yep. All right, play a quick song from The Doors, uh, Love Her Madly, and then we'll wrap up the show. Love um, it. Yeah, it's a great Love song. Love this one. All right, that was The Doors and uh, Love for Madly. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front and we're just in, into the home stretch. 
Uh, do you want to just uh, chat out the last few minutes or probably well, haven't got enough? I, what I could do, Jeffrey, I think, is just give us some results from the can test for the next couple of minutes. The um, 92 samples were tested in uh, the ninth month that can test has been running for. And people will know that this is the... Um, the uh, testing site that is at uh, the City Community Health Centre at 1 Moore Street, Canberra City. It's open Thursday from 10am to 1pm and Friday from 6pm to 9pm. Um, CanTest has to- tested a total of 881 samples up until t- the 20th of April 2023. And this month, CanTest staff provided 121 health and AOD, alcohol and other drug brief interventions, uh, and 15 out of 92 samples were voluntarily discarded by people after they received their results, which I think is a very encouraging um, uh, report. So out of cocaine, that was expected in 10 samples and was detected in 9 so the purities range from 12% to 73%. Adulterants found in cocaine this month included caffeine and paracetamol. There were five samples of heroin put in. Um, purities were from 60 to 76%, which is interesting. That's quite high. Two samples also contained caffeine and one sample also contained caffeine and morphine. Um, ketamine was expected in 21 samples and detected in 14 and the purities ranged from 27% to 83%. One sample also contained MDMA and the samples where people expected ketamine to be present and but it wasn't found. There were two sampled that contained 2FNDENC or something. One sample benzocaine, one with teletamine and one with procaine. So there's some really interesting things in that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Look, we'll, we'll put that whole page on the, on website, the website and people yeah. can just interesting. get all the details. Yeah. Um, just we haven't played Golden Brown in about Indeed we four haven't. months. So I just, we did it. Yep. I thought, <laughs> okay, everybody. Finally play. Look, I hope there was some interesting stuff. Uh, get back to us with any ideas, any feedback. Um and we will put the can test on the website. And any of the articles we haven't read. That's right. As well. And we'll talk to you next week. Indeed. We hope and lovely to be with you again. And take care of yourself. Please be careful. And we love you all. And here's Golden Brown for the first time in a long while. Yay. <laughs> Texture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown Every time Just like the last On her ship Tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown 
temptress Through the ages she's heading west From far away, stays for a day Never a 